You're listening to the Crypto Markets Wiki podcast, brought to you by John Lothian News. Jason Urban has over 20 years of experience working in the financial markets. Urban got his start at Goldman Sachs, later working at DRW, before founding Drawbridge Lending LLC with his partners in 2018. Drawbridge Lending sees itself as the bridge, hence the name, between the cryptocurrency world and the world of institutional trading. Once again, I uh, I appreciate you making the time to speak with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I really appreciate you inviting me on. This is uh this is quite an honor for for what you've built here in this podcast so i'm happy to be here today thank you so much i really appreciate that so to get things started you are the ceo and uh, one of the founders of drawbridge lending llc so what exactly does drawbridge lending do for its clients in your words i think the best way to think about drawbridge is that we're a structured products business so what we do and how we started is by giving people the opportunity to monetize their crypto without giving up control, hence lending against that. And where we differ from other lenders in the space is we use our experience in the derivatives markets to create structures that quite honestly give a better end result to the client. And so from that standpoint, that that business, that original fiat lending business has grown and developed and morphed into a lot of other product lines. So we can produce yield, we can, we can lend your coin out if that's something you'd like in a responsible way. We can, we can lend against coins held, digital assets held in IRAs. And so at the end of the day, if you think about what Drawbridge Lending does, DBL Digital does, is we are here to create tailored, tailored solutions for a client who has crypto, who's looking to get more out of it than just a dead asset that can't do anything. What was your experience with cryptocurrency and blockchain technology prior to 2018? Well, you know, it, it's funny. We were, you know, so, so my, my career, I've really only worked at two places, uh, Goldman and then, you know, for a decade and then DRW for a decade. And at DRW, they were one of the, the first trading groups to really embrace crypto with Cumberland, with their, with their wholly owned sub Cumberland. And in doing so, you talk to people and you talk to people within the firm who were active in that, involved in that. And I remember having a conversation one day and a friend of mine was talking to another buddy and said, hey, I just bought 200,000 ETH for a quarter. And I was like, when you ever hear, you hear a trader say, I bought 200,000 of anything, you just say, hey, what was that? You know, it kind of catches your, <laughs> catches your ear. And... And, and this also kind of dates the timeline of when Ethereum was trading for a quarter. And when he said that, I said, you bought 200,000 what? And he said, Ether. And I said, are you a dentist? <laughs> and, you know, jokingly, you know, he said, no, it's Ethereum cryptocurrency. And, and at first I kind of, you know, I, I kind of turned my nose a little bit to it, if you will. I was like, you know, yeah, this is great, but there's so many other vehicles that can can do similar things. But I didn't want to be closed-minded to it, and so uh, I went out and I learned about it. And in learning about it, I really st started to see the ability for blockchain and, and digital assets, cryptocurrencies, to revolutionize a lot of the things that we currently know in the traditional finance world, as well as other avenues. 
And I thought that this was a great way to, you know, th that this was a great thing that was going to happen with the economy moving forward. And I really wanted to find a way to become involved. And that was really the first step into that. Obviously, you buy some and you learn and, and, and you, you learn the different protocols and what they do and why they were created. But as you looked at a way to step out into the business, I think a big thing was, you know, the trading groups who are very good at this, and there are, there are a number of them here in Chicago, but globally, it's not that difficult for them to take their tech and just turn it into the crypto. Yes, there's a little bit different, you know, there's some different things, but for the most part, it, you know, the underlying engine is there. So we wanted to find a way to, to be involved in the industry, but be involved in the industry in a responsible fashion and in a way that we thought could be successful. And lending was the natural, the natural step forward because of the things that we could do, our value add in the derivative space. So before you started Drawbridge uh, with you and your partners, you managed a volatility market making index at Goldman and then later went to DRW to fill a similar role. What did you learn during that time that's helped you get the ball rolling at Drawbridge and then keep it rolling? I think the most important thing that you you learn, especially in a volatility space, is risk management. You know, I often kind of tongue in cheek say that if you want to trade underlying or 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 you know one delta, you know that's kind of like playing checkers. If you really want to exercise your mind, trade volatility. It's a little bit more like chess. It's a it's more of a three dimensional approach. And so from that, you know, I think that learning the the basic tenets of risk management, understanding when you're dealing with with highly volatile assets, which you know up until, you know I, I think you could still say that most digital assets fall into that, into that category. Um, understanding one how to price risk, two how to think about risk, uh, and the risk that you have as a business, that your client has as say a borrower or a structurer, and that your counterparty has because. Quite honestly, in, in a in a world that's just growing, you need to make sure that you know what your what risks your counterparty has, either on the individual transaction or as a business as a whole. And making sure that you're interacting with people who are thinking about risk responsibly is always important. And so, from our standpoint, I think the biggest thing that you know has followed not only me but the, but the majority of the team with with similar backgrounds is a view of risk. And then obviously within that, you could, you could carve out a subsection of compliance because compliance and regulation are very important as well, because ultimately that is your biggest risk. If you do something wrong or do something, you know, even if you don't think you're doing something wrong, if you haven't put in place proper controls and policies and procedures, you can end up running afoul of a regulator and that can be just as detrimental as having a, a bad trade on or a bad position on. I understand that compliance is rather a big part of your your overall strategy. What has your approach to digital asset compliance been like? It's been an adventure, and it, it's been an expensive adventure in that we, we do retain quite a few different law firms and legal counsel because of that. Obviously, as an organization, it's it's paramount for us to make sure that we're, we're doing things in the right way. Uh, sometimes it can be frustrating if you see people who are who are making headway and not doing it the right way, but ultimately the, you know, the wheels of justice grind very slowly, but they grind very, very fine. And so, from from that standpoint, as I, you know, a little saying my mother used to say to me when I was a kid, but 
you know, from that standpoint, what we do from a compliance perspective is we engage regulators. We certainly ask ask permission more often than we do ask for forgiveness type of scenario. We definitely seek out their counsel, their advice to the extent they're willing to give it, law firms, but then using models that we see in the traditional finance world and applying them where there isn't necessarily a rule yet in crypto, but using a best practice of saying there's no defined rule, but this kind of an attitude or this kind of a of a, of a uh, policy or procedure will allow us to navigate those waters so that when regulation does address this, we can be thoughtful as to why we did what we did. You recently hit a mile, uh, a bit of a milestone, by which, of course, I mean your company recently announced that it now manages $125 million worth of assets for its clients. How did you and your company manage to get to that point in two years? I, I think the biggest thing is it's putting the client first. At the end of the day, you know, one of the things that I took from my, my Goldman times, and there were certain things that were indoctrinated into you um, at an early age in your career. And one of those sayings that still sticks with me to this day is there are three things that you have in this world. You have your clients, you have your capital, and you have your reputation. And you can lose any one of those, but the hardest to repair is your reputation. And so we've taken the standpoint of of doing things correctly, putting the client first, and building a solid reputation in the space so that people say, hey, when I want to deal with people who are professional, the guys at Drawbridge really, really are embodying that. And so as there have been hiccups along the way in a very volatile asset, I think about March 12th and the and the massive sell-off in all assets, but crypto got hit particularly hard. Our clients did not have margin calls. Our clients faced no forced liquidations. Matter of fact, they all did very well. And I think that, that the reason that we've, we've taken a responsible view to risk, as well as providing proper counsel to our clients as to the risk that they want to take, people are starting to recognize that. And I think that manifests itself in the numbers that you see with with AUM, but also with, more importantly, I think, our reputation and how people view us on the street. And so taking that into account is really what's been what's allowed us to be successful in, in, uh, in how we press forward. So recently, how has business been with all of the with all the volatility in the markets over the past four or five months? You know, business has been great for us. I think that we build products that can, that we build solutions for clients that can address either a very volatile market and take advantage of that or can take advantage of a very quiet market. And as long as you you are thoughtful about your approach, you can position yourself in, in a good way. I always say that volatility is kind of like nuclear energy. People look at it in a traditional, although the markets were volatile today. And that has a negative connotation. But nuclear energy, yes, a nuclear bomb is negative, but harnessed correctly, it can power, can power an entire country. And so looking at volatility with a similar mindset and saying this is just a function or a factor of the market and positioning yourself to take advantage of it in a good way or to avoid it if it's something that's negative is very important. And I think that that's something that we do very well. Speaking of your clients, what kind of clients do you typically get for digital asset lending? How much demand comes from institutions versus retail? Well, for our product, the way we've built it and building it within that regulatory framework that we previously discussed 
is all of our products are geared towards institutional, accredited, accredited plus, and ECP type of, of investors. So we're solely dealing with, with more institutional players or high net worth players. That doesn't mean that I wouldn't love to be able to roll this out to retail people, but rules and regs uh, preclude us from doing that. So, you know, in the inside of that institutional universe, I think you can break it down as a, truly a wide variety of people. There are crypto enthusiasts who have held coins since the early days and want to monetize but don't want to tax a tax event. There are miners who are very important to what we roll out and how we constantly think about products in the marketplace. Obviously, hedge funds and institutional players like that are important, a big part of our business. And then, you know, lastly, you can think about trading companies and groups like that who may at, at certain points want to utilize some of our expertise to help mitigate a certain situation that they have on the books at a, at a time and place. So I want to ask you about uh, your thoughts on digital assets kind of more generally. Do you think that digital assets have any functional flaws that might make them, in your opinion, less attractive for investment or custody than traditional assets? Or do they have advantages that traditional assets typically don't have? I think that it, the answer is yes to both. <laughs> um, and, and I know that that's a, a typical fence-sitting answer. But there are understanding that each, each digital asset, each coin, each public blockchain, and that's when you talk about cryptocurrencies, they're public blockchains, right? That's really the best way to think about them. There's private blockchains that medical, you know, medical groups use to monitor prescriptions or patient records. And, you know, blockchain is just changing the way business is done in every in every avenue. We see blockchain being used for cryptocurrencies, but those currencies certainly have different uses and they have different advantages and different limitations. Bitcoin, for instance, which is the most widely held and widely known, is 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 awfully slow and clunky. But you get that high level of security, but the most they can do is seven transactions per second. That's certainly not Visa-esque. Other other currencies can be very, you know, can handle vast amounts of information in, in a very quick time. But they're, they may they may sacrifice some of that security that you get with Bitcoin for something else. And so understanding what each currency does and why it's important and why the protocol that it is and what problem it's solving is very important to think about thinking about digital assets. I think as you look through the lens of, of what the traditional world is going to be in the future. The, the blockchain solves a lot of issues that are inherent in what we've all done in finance for the last number of years, 20 years, 30 years, however you want to think about it. Everything from, from reconciliation to permissioning people to see certain things. When you think about transactions, those things are important, especially higher order transactions. And then I think if you take this and extrapolate it to tokenization of things, imagine tokenizing a building or your favorite sports team. I remember when the when the the much maligned Green Bay Packers, since we're both <laughs> here in Chicago right now, you know, sold shares of their team. Imagine doing that with a digital asset, and now everybody who's on their phone can can own a piece of their favorite baseball, football, soccer, hockey, you name it, um, their, their team, or 
artwork or things like that. And I think that that's where you're going to see the world start to move. And it's really a demographic shift as well. When you look at the millennials and the Robin Hood traders of today versus how, you know, my parents were, you know, investing in the stock market and so on and so forth. So it's just evolution. And I think blockchain allows for that evolution to happen in a, in a very manageable way. So speaking of blockchain and uh, newer technology, we've there's been a lot of talk recently about two subjects, I would say, in particular in the digital asset space. And of course, I'm talking about DeFi, which is short for decentralized finance, especially decentralized finance platforms like uh, Huobi recently announced that they're working on one. There have been another of other cryptocurrency companies, exchanges and such that are working on similar products. And then, of course, there's central bank digital currencies on which the Chinese government recently, well, not recently anymore, I guess, time time works weird in, in quarantine, some months ago announced that they are working on their own sort of central bank digital currency or the Chinese central bank. Which are you more interested in, DeFi platforms or in DeFi technology in general or central bank digital currencies? Which do you think have the greatest potential to disrupt financial technology or which one do you see the most opportunity in? Well, I certainly think that central bank I have strong opinions on both, just <laughs> just to just to, to to level set. But I think that the central bank initiatives are really going to just completely revolutionize the way crypto works. And the reason is is because they're going to create rails for people to transact. And whether it's a digital dollar, whether it's a digital yuan, I think that every central bank will will ultimately have a digital currency, their digital currency. And so from that standpoint, that's only going to make it easier. Now your phone is your wallet and you show up and you say, am I going to buy this in dollars? Am I going to buy this in Bitcoin, Ethereum? You know, what am I going to use to make my purchase? Or am I going to use the, my shares of the Cubs or whatever to, to transact? Because there may be an instantaneous mechanism for that done, you know, another app on your phone, another opportunity for an entrepreneur to create something where you can do that. So I think that that truly is going to change the way money is thought of and used in this country. I think that the quarantine, the COVID crisis here, you know, I thought about it in the early days. You know, I used to carry quite a bit of cash in general, like I would have, you know, 100 bucks in my pocket type thing. And now I never carry cash, did not want to touch cash. And not because I was afraid of it, but just because there was no need for it and nobody really wanted to take it. Every store said, use your card, et cetera. So I think that that digital concept is going to continue to push forward. Central banks doing it. There's obviously geopolitical reasons. I think the Chinese are doing it in a way to overcome the dollar, the dollar supremacy. I think that it'll be a, a national security issue to create a digital dollar. And so, and even if you think about it politically, when they, the first two iterations of the CARES Act, I believe had cryptocurrency uh, language in it. And it's the easiest way to circumvent or bypass the traditional banking system, getting money to the unbanked, getting money to everybody simultaneously in, in a situation like we're currently having. So I do think that that's going to, that that is the bigger of the two issues, but in the DeFi world, I think the DeFi is very similar to what we saw in the early days of Lending Club and Prosper and this peer-to-peer -peer model. My, my concern with it 
or my thought on it is anytime you programmatically try to force a transaction to happen and selling into a bidless a bidless market can cause for fluctuations. And so I think that it's it's going to revolutionize the way the average person maybe lends or borrows. But I think that on a broader scale, institutions still need to be, you know, first and foremost. And I think of lending clubs specifically is, you know, they were very much peer-to-peer earlier. Now they're one of the largest issuers of, of CLOs on the street because they just, you need to get that institutional money to people and deep pools of money are how that happens. In your experience, what's been the most, what's been the most surprising thing about running a company like Drawbridge? Oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of surprising things. Every day it's crypto. So there's so many, so many new, new little things that pop up. I think the thing that surprises me the most is you, you see in traditional circles, people are skeptical of crypto, at least publicly skeptical of crypto. But behind the scenes, as you talk to these large institutional players, you see that they're actually really moving in that direction. And so maybe they're hung up waiting for some clarity from a regulator, or they're looking for they're they're looking for some they're they're looking for somebody to come in and say, hey, it's okay, or a great business opportunity. But a lot of these large institutions are looking at it. People that you would traditionally say, eh, they're not gonna be crypto guys. I think they are. And you know, part of when we built this business or we started this business, we, we looked at it and said, all businesses are 80-20 in traditional finance, 80% institutional, 20% retail. I think the opposite holds true currently in, in crypto and digital assets, where it's 80-20 and it's 80% retail, 20% institutional. I think that pendulum is swinging. And so when we established the business, we kind of used to use another sports analogy, said, we want to skate to where the puck's going to be, not where the puck is. And so I think the thing that, that's surprising to me is that these guys haven't full-on come out. I think that you're starting to see some of that happen. I think you'll see more of it in the, in the coming weeks and months. And I do think that now you've got the U.S. government obviously discussing this as, as a digital dollar initiative. So that was the thing I think that was the most surprising. From, from my standpoint, when I first entered into the space. Do you think it's the type of thing where they just, because of all the stigma surrounding cryptocurrency, they just don't want to be associated with it? Or do you think it's more of like a strategic thing where they don't want to tip off potential business rivals that they're going to sort of work in this new direction? Well, I, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think in the early days, it was something that, it was something that crypto had definitely had a stigma to it. Right. Everybody remembered Mt. Gox and, you know, the dark web and all these different things. And and there was a there was a fear around that. I think as more and more people such as the Drawbridge team, where we all come from very traditional big bank established organizations to, to go and do this, start to enter the space, people see that and they say, Oh, there's there's legitimacy to that. There are people that are doing this the right way, a way that comports with what we know and have seen in our traditional lives. And then there is that strategic part of it. But, you know, you, you've seen Fidelity get into the into the business. You've seen you know, JP Morgan has, has said things along the way. So, you know, as you look at that, people are, you know, these large organizations are going to step forward 
and there's no hiding it. There, there's no hiding it when there's a large initiative. So yes, there is a, a, a little bit of a strategic view to that, but nobody wants to lose business. And they know that at the end of the day, if their clients want this, they're going to move towards it. And I think that what you're seeing currently with governmental responses to, to COVID and the quarantine, uh, people have varying views on what the, with, what the impact is going to be. But you also see people looking at, I think it's no secret to see the record price of gold. Bitcoin has definitely had a, and all digital assets have definitely had a nice tailwind. So people, I think, are starting to embrace it a little bit more. Well, I've had a great time talking to you here today, Jason. We are almost at the end here, but I wanted to ask you, what are you, uh, what are you most looking for? I mean, there might be a couple obvious answers, right? We are <laughs> recording this in August of 2020, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, what, uh, what are you looking forward to in the next 12 months? Well, I, you know, I, I think that for, on the on, on the on the more on the broader scale, I'd love to have some clarity with what's going on with quarantine and COVID, a, a vaccine, some normalcy or at least whatever the new normalcy is going to be, some certainty. Uh, and I think that that does bleed into drawbridge and what we what we are looking forward to. I think that what we spoke about previously in terms of more institutions coming into the space is certainly exciting. To see real money you know, or managers of real money step into the space in a meaningful way is is really encouraging. It, it adds a sense of acceptance or normalcy to what, what crypto is or what, what crypto was versus what crypto is when the loudest voices in the room are not fringe players but more established players. That always helps. That helps put the average investor at ease. And so I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by the initiatives or the things I'm looking forward to, the initiatives with the digital dollar as well as some of the other central bank currencies. I think that that will create the rails that will make it easier for people to do business the way they want to or the way they need to. And and quite honestly, I think that this is, this is going to change the way there are things that haven't even been invented yet or developed yet. And to see that innovation that constantly emerges. I think the other thing that in the next 12 months I'm pretty excited about is I do think that North America will continue to become a mining center for digital assets globally because of cheap feedstock electricity or you know energy whether it's from nat gas or renewables or just pulling off the grid as well as a, a positive or a warming regulatory framework here and so those are the things that kind of excite me as I look forward to what the next 12 months for, for Drawbridge have in order. Well, once again, Jason, thank you so much for joining. It's been more than a pleasure having you on the show. I was Matt, thanks for having me. This is great. Anytime you want a, a Chicago guy to come on and, and, and spout about things, I'm more than happy to <laughs> I'm more than happy to, to to come in and throw my barbs at the Packers and and pull for the, <laughs> the, the Cubs and the Sox and the Bears and, and everyone else here. Terrific. For more news, videos, and podcasts like this, head over to johnlothiannews.com.